contractor's journey to self-mastery requires discipline, integrity, and respect. Welcome to Hammer and Grind. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Brad Hebner, and I'm here with my co-host, Eric Triplett, and welcome to Hammer and Grind, the podcast built for contractors. Real contractors, true stories, real solutions. So listen up. We want to help as many contractors as possible, and Eric and I need your help to get the word out. We want you to do us a favor and leave us a review. Tell other contractors about the podcast. Share it with them. Hopefully help them learn and get better in their business. And if, you, if you're looking for a community that you can connect with and be with other like-minded contractors, check out our free Facebook group called the Contractor Profit Group. We got lots of great conversation tips and things going on in there. Or if you're looking to step your business up to the next level, check out our paid coaching group called the Profit Club. Uh, we do weekly coaching calls, training webinars, uh, monthly calls with industry experts, and all kinds of things going on to help you maximize your journey to self-mastery. So check that out at hammerandgrind.com forward slash the Profit Club. And so on today's episode, we're talking about something that's really important. And uh, I'm actually, I'm, I'm feeling a little frisky about this today, Eric. We're going to be talking about five reasons that contractors fail. This is, this is an epic title right here. I mean, this is an epic podcast. First of all, let me just say with 100% transparency, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't, I didn't really lose it with one of the five things we're going to talk about today. I'm surprised I made it past it. There's a staggering statistic I want to share with everyone. And that statistic is that 96% of contractors will fail within the first 10 years of business. And, and I'd like to think that the, the amount of contractors that fail before that is really high. Yeah, I don't know what the statistic is on like, you know, less than five years, but you know, you mentioned the 96%, and that comes from the US Department of Commerce that that construction and contracting businesses have the highest failure rate of any other business. The that's, highest failure rate. That's staggering. I mean, that's gnarly right there. And, and so, but but here's what's important is most contractors don't realize that. You know, most contractors think like, you know. Oh, I see this one contractor. He's crushing it. I should crush it too. I should be kicking ass. I should be taking names, counting money, laughing to the way of the bank. But it's it's a it's a hard grind. It's really hard. It's, it's extremely hard. Yeah. So I'm I'm so thankful that somehow I made it through. Like I don't know. I feel like an idiot savant. Like I somehow just navigated my way through, and all like things were just falling. You know, maybe there's some luck involved, but I I did grind it out. I worked hard. There's no doubt. There's a, there's a phrase that comes to mind. A bad plan executed violently is better than a good plan executed poorly. I like that. I so like that. that's, I think you just executed a, a bad plan violently. <laughs> I, I probably did, man. I probably did. I've, I've, I've gone through some violent changes along the way. And that, that's what I love about what you and I are doing right now uh, is like sharing that experience. Because ultimately, like in my business and in my passion for ponds and like my own little, you know, pond digger podcast and all that stuff, it's like my, my goal is to like shorten the learning curve in people's and, and people learning the passion of ponds and like, and, and meeting you and starting this whole hammer and grind movement that we've done here. It's like, I just want to shorten the learning curve for people that are, you know, trying to get into the business. And, and it's like, 
I almost feel like I have this crystal ball and seeing these new guys come up and I'm like, no, 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 no. You can't do that, bro. Like you're really going to screw up. And like, I feel like I can literally carve like decades off of people's lives if, if I can just, if they just listen to me. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what we're going to touch on today is, um, you know, learning from others, but we got, so we, we've identified five different things and, and this may not be, you know, the, all the five, there may be seven there, you know, there may only be four, but we're, we were, we're going to talk about five things that we've identified as to why construction businesses fail. So let me say what they are and then we'll go into each one. Is that all well, right? Yeah. Hold on real quick. So I, I do want to, I won't let everyone know that Brad and I kind of went through like, you know, the top 10 reasons and like we went through a little research to find out like a lot of them are like saying the same thing, but in a different way. And like Brad and I were like, let's, these are the five ones that are really punching us in the face. These are the ones that people need to really pay attention to. And then the other ones will fall in line. Perfect. Can I go now? Let it rip. <laughs> okay. So the first one, and these are not in any particular order. They're not one is necessarily more important than the other. So the first one is marketing. That's pretty uh, wide. The second one is insufficient cash flow. Basically cash flow problems. Number three is charging too little. Okay, and number four is excessive overhead and or employees. And number five is lack of organization or processes and decision-making data. So we're going to break those down for you. We'll start with number one, marketing, which I honestly think is probably has the heaviest weight to them, Eric, because if you don't have good marketing, you don't have calls, your phone's not ringing. So you got to start with marketing, right? Would you agree or disagree? No, I, I definitely agree. I agree because sales can control and, and resurrect and drive any business. It's, it's all has to do with sales. And if you're not marketing to get the phone to ring, then you don't have the opportunity to create a sale. So a lot of this is going to have to do with sales, you know, organizing sales, you know, charging cash flow, all that stuff. But if you don't, if you don't set the marketing standard correctly to get the phone to ring, then you don't have the opportunity to make sales. So I'm going to agree with you 100%. I know this is kind of rare, Brad. I know this is rare, but I agree with you 100% on this one. I'm soaking it in right now. I'm probably going to play this on loop. I'm going to clip out this and put it on my ringtone <laughs> and play it on loop. <laughs> you know, here, here's, here's the thing. For me, I'm, I started the long game a long time ago. and I really feel like I kind of knew it was a long game. I, I don't know how, you know, because I'm old. You know, when I started this journey 25 years ago, I was like, I'll just chip away at this. Eventually, I'll have a brand. Eventually, you know, I'll be a household name in my industry. Like, that was like my mentality from the beginning. And I just started to chip away at that. And so, you know, but marketing, yeah, we can talk for probably like, 10 episodes on marketing, but marketing is is critical. Yeah. And, and marketing kind of encompasses so much. I mean, it encompasses your actual advertising, your branding, your name, your business, the, you know, reviews, your website, you know, all of those things fall under marketing. And so it's a very wide aspect. But uh, I mean, if you, if you don't have a website, in today's age, you're you're going to be severely hurting, right? Like those are those are things that are like kind of important that you have to have, or certain things you have to have. 
And I, I remember when I first started, Eric, uh, 11 years ago, because I'm kind of a, I came from a tech background and understood technology and, and websites and stuff. I had a website from the, from the very beginning. And I remember my biggest competitor, and this was in 20, 2009. So websites were out there, but they weren't like, it wasn't like every business had a website yet, right? It was kind of on the, the beginning stages of that. And my biggest competitor, he had a website and all it is when you clicked on it, it was just like his business card on a page. That's awesome. So that's awesome. It. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it was like he went to the website to get his business card. That's so funny. Well, I, I have to tell you with 100% transparency, when I started, you know, it was before websites were even, like there wasn't even websites when I started. That's how old I am, right? And uh, around 2003, one of my dearest friends, like he really helped shape my business and where I'm at today. That's like six foot. He's not as tall as you. He's only like six four. German guy, probably weighs a little bit more than you, like maybe midget, you know, maybe two eighty, you know, two ninety. Giant German dude, and um, he's like Eric. I build website for you. Don't charge. You just I build website. Give me picture content. And I put it together. And I'm like I don't have time for some website. I don't have time for that crap. I just I don't have time. Eric, I build website. You give me picture or I kill you. I crush you. You know I'm like. Okay, I'll get you some pictures. Okay, you know, and I mean that's how ignorant I was. I just had no idea, you know. But that was early on in my career, and it was a big deal. Uh, so yeah, websites are funny, but but the business card—I never even heard of such a thing. Yeah, you got you got to work on your accents. That was a fake Russian accent. That wasn't fake German. No, no, no. I that's I get it. I totally get it. But Lisa wasn't okay. Indian. You know what I mean? Like cause sometimes <laughs> I really screwed up. Okay. Yeah. Well, when you said he was German and then started speaking Russian, and I, you know the fake Russian accent, I didn't. I was confused. <laughs> I use it all the time, and people tease me all the time. It's hilarious. I don't know. <laughs> all right, so we know marketing. I mean, you have to do it. Like you could be the best carpenter, pond builder, landscaper, whatever. You could be the very best in the world, but if people don't know you exist, you're not getting business. Right? It's just that simple. So you have to do marketing. An important thing right here is is marketing is very complex. It's not it's not really simple. It's not really cut and dry, right? And so most of the I think I would like to think I'm assuming most of our audience I think I have a pretty good perspective. They're craftsmen turned businessmen trying to work this out. They're in that weird they're in that weird spot, right? They don't know marketing. They know that they see a Coca-Cola sign or a Budweiser sign with a girl on it. And they, they know like that inspires them to drink beer or buy Coca-Cola or go to Jack in the Box, right? But they don't know how to apply that to their business. They don't realize the decades of time that, that's been put into Coca-Cola and Budweiser and Jack in the Box and all that stuff, right? They just, so they, they don't have a really good understanding of that. And then they just kind of take a stab at it. I have a couple of peers of mine that you know, they asked me for some help, and I'm like, "Hey, you, you need to like push harder on on Facebook, maybe a couple of Facebook ads." He's like, "Well, I, I ran an ad once, and it just didn't really work." And I'm like, "Okay, you, you ran an ad once?" He's like, "Yeah," and it didn't work. He's like, "Yeah," I'm like, uh, "Okay," you know, like they just have no understanding. It's not that simple. You don't run one ad and then just like your phone's ringing off the hook and you're counting money. It's probably a boosted post too. It wasn't even an actual place placed ad. Exactly. 100% I remember right. one of my favorite quotes from Gary Vaynerchuk is, he's like, if you run Facebook ads and they don't work, 
It's not because Facebook sucks. It's because you suck. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> they do work. Like if Facebook ads didn't work, there wouldn't be people advertising on them. They're, they would not exist. Right. So, but that's, I mean, that's advertising. We're, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of that, but it's not just like you said, you can't just join the Better Business Bureau and you're good. You can't just put a website out and that's all you got to do. You can't just run uh, Google pay-per-click ads and that's it. Like all of these things work together. They're, it's like a symphony of, of things that have to happen for your marketing to work. Yeah, it's, right. it's a, a multi-pronged approach. And I, I love how you like the symphony. Imagine yeah. all those musical instruments working together, coming at the crescendo. I mean, that's, that's exactly what marketing is. Yeah, you got your vehicle wraps, you got yard signs, you got door hangers, you got direct mail, you know, f- social media, web. I mean, there's just so many aspects of it and you have to do it. I've heard before this, Eric, too, I mean, to cut you off, but I've heard that if like, if all you have left is $50 in your bank account, you, you better think long and hard about either spending that money on marketing or on food. I, like, I believe it, yeah. Marketing is very, very important. And it's a moving target. The economy changes. You know, you move to a new area. Diff- different things are happening in your climate seasonally. Things are, things are changing. So like the, the marketing is a constant and, and, and constant moving thing. And so you have to constantly be moving. It's something... I mean, why do you think all these companies have a marketing department. It's a full-time job. I mean, it really is that important, right? And so, you know, hiring someone to, to help you in that if you're so busy and you don't have the time to like, or if you don't have the energy to stay up late at night to get it done, like that's like, I mean, marketing is really a full-time position in your business. Yeah, absolutely it is. Marketing's, marketing's heavy. I just mainly what we want to do on this podcast is just shine light on that. Just like to yeah. shine light on the fact that, I mean, literally we could talk for hours on marketing, but yeah. the, the reason a lot of construction companies fail, why they're in the 96 percentiles is because they don't understand marketing. So if you don't understand marketing, like get a Gary Vaynerchuk, Vaynerchuk book, get, you know, start thinking about it. Watch some YouTube videos, like lean into marketing because you're, you're probably not doing it well enough. I know I'm not doing it well enough. I've been doing it for 25 years. I could do it better. Yeah. And what I'm, I remember what I was going to say now, it's that you can't be those guys that are like, well, I don't understand it. So I'm just not going to mess with it. Like you can't do that. You have to understand it. You have to learn it. You have to go where your customers are at. If, you know, if all your customers are on Facebook, then you need to be on Facebook. If all your customers are on YouTube, then you need to be on YouTube. Like that's, it's just that simple. So we yeah. beat that one on the ground. <laughs> yeah, dead horse. So number two, insufficient cash flow. And I'm going to lump in there with cash flow is really just understanding your cash flow. I'll agree with that. You know what I mean? Just cash flow in general. So what is cash flow, Eric? I mean, it's available funds to you. So many, so many contractors are living paycheck to paycheck. Some, so many contractors are selling a job and collecting a deposit and using that money to fund the, you know, and fulfill the, the project that they're on currently. You know, like the, this is a vicious cycle. This, this is one of the reasons why, like in California, for example, you can only collect so much money when you sign a contract. You can only uh, collect enough money that uh, amount of work that you've done. You know, I mean, that that's really one of the things. This is a long, long line of, of history of things that have happened. So imagine, 
like, this is going to go deeper than I thought, bro. Listen, in California, I can collect $1,000 on a $100,000 job. $100,000, sign a deal. I collect $1,000 to, to, to um, secure a construction date on the board. And then if it's six weeks away, when, when I start the project, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't received any money towards their project to secure materials or, or resources or anything I need for the project. I break ground on the job. Then I can, then I can, you know, ask for 30% or 25%, but I have to come into that job really hard. Like I have to show up. I have to mobilize. I have to get involved in that job. Then I can, then I can pull 25, 30% from the project and, and use those, that money towards resources. Right. So if I don't have the money to fund that job ahead of time, then then there's this little delay to get going. But the reason that that law is even in in place for California and Florida and a lot of other other states across the union is because contractors for decades and decades and decades and still to this day will go in and, and say like, hey, it's a hundred grand, give me 50 grand as a down payment and I'll, I'll get your job done. I'll be here in a few weeks. And people would just pay it. But then the contractors would blow it. They'd buy cars, they'd buy strippers, they'd buy booze, and then they'd fund the last job and then they'd go to the next job. It's a total, total cluster. And that is is still a problem today. Absolutely. I want to tell a story. So when I got into construction, I was working for a developer. He was was a civil engineer. I mean, he went to school. He was a civil engineer and he became a developer and he was building stuff. It was kind of unique. He was building stuff for himself. And then he was also building stuff for other people. So like he was building a commercial property like uh, strip malls, you know, like a regular strip mall. He would build the, he would build the strip mall, be the general contractor on it, build it out, lease it out, own the building. And then after a short period of time, he would sell the building that was leased out. So he was making his own, you know, profits through real estate. But we were also building homes and stuff. So we, when I first started for him, he built this huge, it was a um, parade of homes, a local parade of homes. It was a category 10, which is just over a million dollars. So this wasn't a small house. It was like a premium house. It won, it won the category 10, you know, parade of homes, all that stuff. And it was for his business partner. And, and, and so his business partner, it was his personal house, right? And all of these things happened while they were working. The business partner would come in and say, you know what? I want to upgrade the cabinets. I want to upgrade this. I want to change that. And at the end of the project, there was over $200,000 worth of up- upgrades. Okay. And when it came time to pay the bills, the business partner said, well, I never approved those changes. Brutal. I never approved those, you know, all that stuff. And why would you question your business partner? Right. But came to find out later on that was his plan the whole time. He was literally going to let the house go to foreclosure and then buy it back at the foreclosure at a severe discount. Like this guy was, I mean, this guy was evil. I mean, the level of unethical crap is like, that's, that's gross. Yeah, but here's, here's where I came in. And this is the story that I had to set the backstory. So because of that, and because my, my boss like had all this money, he had over $10,000 worth of legal fees paying, you know, trying to fight this in court. He got, he ran into cash flow problems, right? And so he had to start paying his vendors and his subcontractors. And everybody started calling, like, where's my money? Where's my money? It actually put one, the cabinet maker out of business. Like he literally had $80,000 worth of cabinets and he didn't get paid for any of them. I mean, there's, there's proof right there. 
I mean, now, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not trying to justify my boss in a situation, but I mean, if you don't have, you know, two, three hundred thousand dollars worth of cash laying around, like can't pay your bills. But mm-hmm. the point that affected me is I remember just very, very distinctly is that the plumber who did work on this job hadn't been paid yet, but we were building another house and we needed to finish the plumbing. And I called the plumber and I was like, hey, we need to get this done. Is there any way you can work with us? And he said, uh, if you you owe me forty thousand dollars, you know I need I need some kind of payment, and I don't remember the dollar amount, uh, you know, or we're not going to do it. And I talked to my boss, and he's like, just tell him we will get him the money tomorrow. Promise on my word, we'll get the money tomorrow. And I told him, I said, all right, we'll have the money for you tomorrow. Can you uh, you know can you go ahead and start today on this? He said, fine. And so tomorrow came. And he didn't get paid. Oh. And I I had never wanted to be in that position ever again. Because I was the messenger. Yeah. Right. So I like was your, hearing your it from integrity the, was on the line right there. Yeah. You yeah. And so him. I was hearing it from the from the contractor. And I'm like, dude, I understand. I totally understand. And he knew too. He's like, I know you're not the one paying the bill. I'm just you're the messenger. And I'm telling you, like, this is BS. And I mean, he ended up did getting he did get paid. I don't think it was a full amount. I think all of the contractors and vendors got paid like 80% of what they were owed. You know, they all lost money. Well, I mean, if you have cash flow and you get stuck like, so that cabinet maker, he didn't have cash flow and that's why right. he, had, he went under, you know, he couldn't sustain that hit, right? So if that, if that cabinet maker had some cash flow, he could have sustained it. And then, you know, he would you know, dusted himself off, licked his wounds and gone out and got some other, you know, profitable projects and moved forward. But that was why he failed. And because of, you know, the the person you're describing, it's horrible. I'm curious if that guy, you know, ended up failing in business or he screwed enough people to figure it out and he's still doing okay. Which guy? The one that said he would pay, but didn't. And like... Oh, my old boss? Yeah, yeah. He actually shut down his, he went bankrupt, shut down his business, moved to Colorado. <laughs> Failed. Horrible. Yeah. I mean, these are, these are real scenarios we're talking about, people. This, this is real problems, decades and decades and decades of stuff that we're, we're talking about. And it can, it can be overcome with some thought and some careful planning and some consideration, some integrity, some ethical background and stuff. So... I want to talk about cash flow in the regards that I remember the first public works project that I bid on. Uh, it was it was a tricky one. Public works are it's tricky for me as far as water features go. I remember the project I was bidding on was one hundred sixty thousand dollars, and they had I don't know eight or ten different contractors bidding on that project. And in order to even submit a proposal for that project, I had to put up ten uh, percent money. To to the to the city, so literally, I had my my proposal for 160 grand all written up, and then I walked in with a check for sixteen thousand dollars, gave it to the to the city, and they they took everything up, and then the next day I went back, so they opened up the the all the bids and picked whoever they're going to choose, right? So you have all these different contractors bidding on this project, paying the city ten percent of what their bid is. So I mean, I had to come up with sixteen grand and give them to him just to say, "Hey, I'll do this for one hundred sixty grand." And then I lost the job because I was too expensive. They went with someone uh, with less money, and then they held my sixteen thousand for thirty days before they gave it back to me. 
I mean, think about that. That's crazy. But I mean, the, because I had the cash flow, I was able to even bid on a public works project like that. And that's when it comes to being able to scale, expand, grow, those kind of things. But I think the city's got some kind of crazy racket. Oh, yeah. I mean, so if I were to ask you, like, what's your single biggest expense, like expense group, what would you say it is? I mean, it's tied up in overhead. I mean... Right, but I mean, it, part of your overhead. What's your single biggest overhead expense? Payroll. Exactly. Yeah. Payroll. So, how do you mitigate cash flow against your payroll when you're not selling jobs and it slows down? Now, you got to pay the pay the bills, right? You got to pay the checks to your, your employees. Mm-hmm. Well, the way you mitigate that is you have, you know, one to two months of payroll in reserves. Cash flow. Right? Yeah. You're, you're planning for the future because it's going to happen. You don't go sell that big job and get that extra $10,000 and then go buy a new boat. You put that in your payroll and now you have an extra month or two months or whatever it is worth of payroll sitting there. New boats are awesome though, bro. (laughs) (laughs) A bass boat? Come on now. But that's that's how you fight against cash flow is you have extra in reserve. True. Right? You can't rob from Peter to pay Paul. And that's what my old boss was doing. I mean, he was literally robbing Peter to pay Paul. He was shifting money around, funny accounting or whatever you want to call it, strategic accounting to try and get money. Just to, I mean, just to keep the lights on for another day. Like, you know what I mean? Why would you ever want to be in that situation? Right. Well, let, let me let me close this one up if that's cool with you. Go ahead. So, if if you you are having cash flow problems, or maybe you don't think you have cash flow problems, but you think you're okay, there's a great book by Mike Pakalowitz called uh, Profit First. It talks about you know cash set asides and all those things. You can find that in our in our tools of the trade on the Hammer and Grind website. It's a a book that we recommend. It's a great book. I mean, it literally, it transforms contractors' lives, saves their businesses. So that that's a good resource that you guys can look for. So let's let's move on to number three. Well, before we do that, I want to say that's exactly why I my bookkeeper is a Profit First certified accountant. And it's also why we have her come in once a month in the Profit Club and talk to us about Profit First Accounting. Yeah. Because it is, it's that important. It's, it's, so. it's paramount. I mean, paramount. So number awesome. three, I'll jump on to that three. one. Number three. Yeah. Charging too little. Charging too little. It's about margins, okay. man. You know, that could be like not selling it at the right margins. I mean, it's basically not charging enough. Right. And I, I, I would say that this is probably, the, as far as finances go, this is the single reason, the number one reason why contractors fail. Well, this is all, this is all programmed into sales. So marketing was the number one thing we talked about. You got to get the phone to ring, got to pe- have people want you. And then you have to be able to, to charge the right amount of money. And if you charge the right amount of money, your cash flow problems will be solved. And so it comes down to sales and being confident not negotiating with yourselves. I mean, a lot of the podcasts that we've already pre-recorded here and, and put out all have to do with knowing how much to sell, how to communicate with the client, and and not selling yourself short. Too many contractors over and over and over again get desperate and then discount and they just it's a it's a terrible cycle. Yeah. They do free estimates and they do They'd run around, waste their time, spending 20 hours a week looking at jobs that they're only going to get, you know, 40% or 20% of them. So, yeah, I mean, charging too little is a simple fix. I mean, it's literally a mathematical change, right? It's instead of, you know, doing it times 
60%, you're doing it times 100%, right? You're doing 100% markup. I guess it wouldn't be times, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah multiplying. Multiplying. Instead of doing it one, a, one, a factor of 1.25 or 1.5, you do it two. Well, a lot of, a lot of, so th- this is what's so confusing about business. This is what's confusing about contracting. Like these really large, big uh, construction companies, they work on lower margins. Like you have these guys doing bridges on the freeways and things like that. They might be working on 25 points or, or like somewhere low like that. And so like the specialty contractors, the niche contractors coming up, you know, they, they kind of have a perspective of that and they think that that's commonplace. And even when I talked about that public works project that I was talking about, like the public works things, they, they have like some already numbers kind of pre-factored that they, they expect that you're going to land in certain percentages and things like that. So for a specialty contractor to step up into public works and crush it, they have to like really go to a different level. So I think, I think the smaller contractors, the craftsmen to businessmen, specialty niche contractors are maybe getting some influence from these larger companies and they think that that's where they need to land and that's what they need to charge. And it, it's 100% wrong. For, for those specialty contractors, they actually need to charge more to be able to have a sustainable and profitable business. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those companies, you know, even if they're only getting 8% net profit, it's like 8% on a $100 million project. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a lot of money. Yeah. But you look at it and go, oh, they only make 8% net profit. So that's what I'll make. No. Yeah. No, that's how you go out of business. Right. That's how the specialty contractors, the niche contractors, the craftsmen going into... That, that's why marketing is so important. If you market as, as a specialty contractor, as an as a expert in your craft and an expert in your trade, you actually can charge more. And that's how the, the that's where the symphony comes into play. If you're if that music is being played correctly in the marketing department, then you can charge more in in the in the sales department. And then the symphony hits and then the cash flow is suddenly there and you're able to buy things correctly and you're able to be able to sustain a hit from a from someone if you're a subcontractor and you get screwed around. I mean, it, it's all it, it's all ties together. Yeah, and I think I would say this is I'm just making this number up, but I would say probably at least eighty percent of contractors don't charge enough. Yeah, I wish I had the statistic. I wish I knew, but I know a, a lot of my a lot of contractors in my peer, my like local peer group, water features specifically. You know, I'll have some heart to hearts with them. I'll like hit them up. I'll be like, "Hey, how you doing? What's going on?" I'm asking, "Hey, what, what kind of margins are you making?" I, I'm I'm telling my competitors, "Dude, you are not charging enough." Like I'm charging double that. And, and I'm not trying to get them to raise their price so I look better because I'm already busy. I got plenty of work, you know? I'm trying, because I, I actually legitimately care about my competitors. I really want them to do okay. I want them to do well, you know? Because when they do poorly, it actually reflects poorly on my, in my specialty trade because that specialty contractor doesn't have the funds, it doesn't have the cash flow to respectfully take care of the clients like they should and they start to cut corner and like it's just it's just a total mess so i i have uh plenty of contractors that are uh below 30 percent like in a specialty like water feature take care of fish and they're making in the 20s like this is ridiculous yeah so we gotta we, guys you gotta charge more so number four 
excess overhead and employees. This is this one is one that I always I I kind of giggle and I also like cry on the inside because I go to I go to Lowe's or Home Depot or the lumber yard or wherever I'm going and I pull up and I see a new company that I have never seen before. You know, it's J and S construction and and they're driving a seventy thousand dollar F one fifty. And I'm like, you'll be out of business in six months. <laughs> it's a brand new company, yeah. you know, never heard. Of, I mean, I know all the companies around here. Within, within a month or two of startup, I know that they, that they exist, right? It's not, it's a, I live in a smaller town. Sure. So I, it's not hard to see people. And you see a new company you've never heard of and they're driving that and you're like, why? Like, that's the dumbest thing you could possibly do. Yeah, that's, that's a tricky one. You know, scaling, I mean, a, a lot of companies go under because they scale too fast. Uh, I remember uh, when I, was, I was 17. I was like a long time ago, Brad. I remember I was 17 and I was working with my father actually on a, on a project. I was working for his, his boss. And um, they scaled really quickly. And I remember um, that 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 guy ended up going out of business because he scaled too fast. He couldn't he he probably didn't have enough cash flow to manage the scale and then got hit by a subcontractor and then that was part of his problem. And I still remember I won't mention the name of the company. I remember it vividly from all that many, 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 many years ago. But you know it's it's like I can I can reflect like these these things we're talking about, this is not something we just made up. This is like history right here. Well, yeah, but I mean, you you see this, the contractors that go in business, it's like, awesome. I own my own business. And they usually, I mean, most most guys, they'll start with a, a, a good project, right? Like maybe they're working for a contractor. They're doing some stuff on the side. And then they land this big job, right? They land this big remodel or whatever. And it's like, okay, that's the job that I'm going to go out on my own full time. Because now it's a, it's a leaping point, right? And then they go out and they do the job and they think they have all of it figured out and they make that maybe they make good money on it. And then they're like, oh, this is this contracting thing is easy. I'm gonna go buy me a new truck. I'm gonna go buy me a new trailer. I'm gonna go buy me new equipment. Right? Yeah. And then they fail to market, they fail to set aside some cash flow, and then they go to the next job, they charge a little too little, and then they're in trouble. These are are facts. when When you start, you don't have any overhead. Right, you don't have any overhead. Right. You haven't well, bought anything. Yet. Maybe to get the new building, that you know, they go out and rent a place, and they're like, they're, they're not, they haven't set aside the cash flow. Like one of one of the things that I usually recommend to someone coming up is to like, if you want that building, pretend like you already have it. Start setting aside the money right now. Could you pay for it tomorrow? Oh well, yeah, I'm like we'll pay for it for six months and set aside that money for six months, and now you have your, you know, like a nice entry point and like like scale it that way. I mean. There's there's like a cash and carry scale, and then there's like loan scale. Like there's different ways to do that, but I get what you're saying. Well, and that, they just have excessive stuff. You know, they 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 go out and they buy a bunch of uniforms and signs, and somebody comes along and is like, Eric, I can really I can help market your business, and all you got to do is pay me two thousand dollars a month, and I'll do all the marketing for you. And they're like, Oh, okay, and they hire the company and the company they, they didn't do any due diligence and the company just sucks and they don't know what they're doing and so they waste all their money like you you can this is one of the things that frustrates me about 
being a business, I get calls every single day of people trying to sell me crap. I'm sure you do too, Eric. You probably don't feel those calls and I don't feel them either. My office manager does. But like every single day, it's, oh, we want to do marketing for you. We want to do material takeoffs for you. We do estimating for you. We do this and this. And if you don't do your due diligence and understand your uh, overhead and expenses, then you can easily get taken advantage of in that situation. And then before you know it, you're locked into this contract to have your website built and you're paying $800 a month for them to build it and, and maintain it, right? And now you're kind of locked into a year contract. Like you got you to gotta pay attention to all that stuff. But you see, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know that we, we laid them out on this way on purpose, but the, I like the flow that it's going because it's kind of going down the line. The only thing I would have changed is number three would have been number two. Marketing, charging too little, not reserving cash flow, and then going straight to excess of uh, overhead. I mean, that's how I would kind of lay it out, I think. Yeah, um, I agree with you. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, so like the interesting part of excessive overhead is like, when you get to a certain spot, like having an apprentice and then having an office manager, like you got three people, like it, that's pretty easy to manage. But then having, then hiring a journeyman and then another apprentice and having a couple, and then like having an assistant for that, you know, like, so like the more you scale, the more you need to focus on the business than in the business. And in the beginning, you know, you're working in the business and on the business simultaneously and probably about, equally or actually probably less on the business, right? You just like kind of let it happen. When you start to scale and add those employees, like the more employees I add, the less I work in the field. And actually, I don't, I actually don't like that that much. I actually like building ponds. I like actually getting my hands dirty and throwing down. I just find the more, the more people I add, the less I do so I can manage. So I think, I think personally for me right now, I'm like, I want to hire this management position to be where I'm at now so I can go out and do whatever the heck I want to. But it's fun. I mean, that that's the moving target. That's not the target. That That's not the way I was running my business 25 years ago or even, even a, you know, a little bit ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, yeah, you, your, your desires and stuff changes over the years. So I just, one thing I wanted to follow up on that last uh, was that I talked to a guy one time and he said, I said, how do you know, this was early on, I said, how do you know when it's time to hire more employees, like add more employees? He said, whenever you're paying 40 hours of overtime, that's when you know it's time to hire someone. And so, because what happens too is that people, they, the phone starts ringing, they get super busy and they just go out and start hiring people. And now they have five guys on payroll when really it was just a little influx of business. It wasn't the steady pace that they're going to normally have. So now they put five people on payroll, that job gets finished, and now you got three people sitting around for three weeks because you don't have enough work. So they get they kind of get scared into thinking they got to hire more people. That, that's an interesting interesting perspective. I don't know that I've heard that one before, and I, I don't know if I I don't I actually don't know that I want to agree with that hundred percent. But I I like the way I like that thought process. I do. Yeah, I'm not saying it has to be accurate, but it was just like. When you when you can when you're basically paying the amount to to replace someone in overtime, I mean it's it's basic. a good metric for sure. That's why it's like really interesting to me. Yeah. So the last one we want to get through here is lack of organization processes and decision making making data. So you know that's going to be your KPIs, your softwares you use to run your business, your processes, all that stuff. Why do you think that that is? 
would cause someone to go out of business, Eric? It's interesting because this is probably the one I struggle with the most, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Yeah, I know you agree. So, like, this is really a double edged sword again because you can be, if your production is not organized, they don't have the right tools to get the job done. They don't have their sequencing correct to get the projects done. If that's not organized, then you're not getting the jobs done on time. So you're making less margin. You don't have the cash flow, right? And then that that also can go in onto the business side where marketing comes in, phones are ringing, you're not organized, capture the flow, and then you're not calling people back. You look like a jackass. And then so people stop calling you. Like it, it can happen that way as well. Yeah, or you can forget because you don't have a good process and you're not organized. You forget to order the cabinet that for the bathroom and until you know four weeks later, and then you got to order it, but you're going to start the project in three weeks, but the cabinet's going to take six weeks to get in. Right now, your schedule is all jacked up. Now you got to call the customer and be like, hey, sorry, uh, Mr. Customer, I forgot to order this and it's going to be an extra three weeks. Well, now what are you going to do for those three weeks that you got to wait? You're going to fit in a small job? You're going to sit around to thumb up your butt? I mean, what are you going to do to fit? So that one little thing of not being organized can kill you. And if you don't have it on one job, then it, it trickles over into the next job. Sure. Because then you're playing, you're always playing catch up. I mean, that, that, I mean, that's exactly what I said. It's in the production side. I mean, if, if your sequencing is incorrect, I mean, you didn't get the cabinets ordered in time. You know, you, and you order the materials too quick and they land on the job and now you have to move them so you can get something else done. The sequencing, you're wasting time and over and over and over again. So lack of organization is, is a pretty big deal. And I see it all the way down to like the simplest of things, like where do you park your truck? How close to the, you know, how close to the job are you? Or like which way you turn the wheelbarrow? Like that's, that's organizing me down to the, I, I hate to sound like a, a control freak. Like I know you think I am, but like, you are. If I can get the guys to turn the the wheelbarrow in the right direction when they're loading it, that's already that's organizing your flow of installation, and so that can have a that can have a play a big effect on on your profitability. But for me, like that's easy. For me, that I see it like I can see it like a, a chess game, like you know Bobby Fischer playing chess. For me, like the office and the you know the computers and the technology. That's a little harder for me to see. I feel like I'm playing checkers with Bobby Fischer, like you know, and that's where I that's where I put a lot of focus. Yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, I agree with you. Like you know, like that's kind of like lean manufacturing, right? Where you're looking at everything you do and trying to make it more efficient. No, totally into that. Agree with you. I love that stuff. I always get frustrated with my guys when like sometimes they'll drive and I'll ride with them on to a job or whatever. And we got to go to the store or something, and they'll they want to park like a hundred yards away from the front door. And I'm like, why are you parking so far away? Like, you realize that's an extra three hundred steps you're going to have to take in and out, right? Like, that's time. Like, you're wasting energy and time. Just stupid stuff like that. So, but I mean, that's just a silly example. But if you if if you have processes in your in your business that every time you go mobilize on a job and you, you know, uh, here's an example. We all know contractors that like every morning that either if it's at their house or at a storage unit or whatever, they go to the storage unit, they open the garage door and they go, okay, what tools do I need today to do this job? Right. And then they load up the tools for the day into their job, into the truck. And then they get to the truck, they get to the job site 
And it's like, oh crap, we should have brought the, the table saw with us. You know what I mean? And then they got to drive back to the office and get the table saw. And you know that happens like over and over and over again. It's like, at what point would it be make sense to just buy a trailer and then put all your tools in there? And then that way you don't have that. You don't have that issue. Sure. So lack of organization, processes, and decision-making data. And data, we didn't really get into, uh, Eric, but you need to know how many sales you're getting. You need to know how much money you're uh, averaging per sale, how many leads you need to get to close a sale, what's your closing percentage, right? You can back engineer this stuff. If you know you need to make X dollar amount a year and you average X you know, dollar amount per sale, then you know you need to have so many sales to make that money. And you have, if you have a 20% closing rate on your, on your sales, then you have to have that many leads to be able to close that many jobs, to be able to make that much money, to be able to hit your target. Right? And if you're not tracking that stuff, then how are you going to know where you're at? Nobody's going to know. They're going to know. No, nobody's going to know. They're going to know. <laughs> Listen, I, I want to say like, I mean, those, those five are pretty much, I mean, that I would, I would think that probably a large percent of the 90s per six, 96% that fail is, is somewhere in these five, some, some lining of this. Right. And so I think that uh, w- one of the things that was good for me that helped me through this. And I know I said, like, I, I can't believe I made it. Like I worked hard for it. I, I was grinding though, like all those years, but I was looking for help. Like one of the things that I did as, as far as looking for help was like, I, I leaned into some of my competitors and not, not, not everyone you know, was open arms to me. You know, some of my competitors didn't want to talk to me, but then suddenly I was like looking for people that did similar work to me, like outside of my area. And so it's almost like that was like my first stab at coaching, but it's almost like getting coached and coaching them, like just sharing ideas. Right. I started doing that like 25 years ago, like a long, long time ago. I didn't, I wasn't smart enough to get a mentor Actually, I, I use the excuse that I couldn't find a mentor. But the reality is I never even looked for one. Well, it's it's funny that you say mentor because, you know, it's like I remember when, when I read the Tony Robbins book, you know, 25 years, maybe 30 years ago, he was like, find someone who's doing what you want to do and, you know, reach out to them, get to know them. And like, that was, that was probably my first like push out. But I mean, dude, like literally like reading a Tony Robbins book was like getting a coach like 30 years ago, you know? Like there was no social media. You couldn't just like call up Tony Robbins and, and like hook up with him. He was doing coaching back then. But for like the normal person, I was freaking 21 years old. I couldn't afford to chill with Tony Robbins. Yeah. Well, yeah, there wasn't like coaching wasn't like it is now in terms of accessibility to coaches, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I had I hired some coaches early on, but they weren't like construction coaches. They were like business coaches. And I worked with this one guy and I remember he charged me $125 an hour, which I thought was like a, a, a lot, but I still went and saw him. And he he did help me with a little bit, but honestly, he just he just wasn't that good of a coach. And so I didn't really, I kind of got a bad taste. And so I'm like, well, if this is what coaching is, I don't really need a coach because there's no point in wasting money. <laughs> and then a few years later, I hired another coach and I was paying him like 250 bucks an hour 
but he again he was a business coach not a, not one that specialized in construction right contracting and there's there's different facets of of contracting that don't apply to other businesses to regular to retail or other businesses right and so I did learn some stuff from him but again I didn't feel like he could resonate with me on what I'm going through and in, in, in the issues and struggles that I had in my business and so you know finally it wasn't until I started looking for specific like coaches that were in the construction industry, that's when I started getting some traction. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, so I mean, the, the reality is, I think a lot of contractors are just macho dudes. Like, I mean, I'm, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm speaking for my, I'm speaking like in a mirror right now. Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm macho. I don't need anybody's help. I got this. I'll get it figured out. And like, dude, and today, today I talk to some guys sometimes they're like, like, hey, I'm going to break into this new market and I'm going to do this and I haven't done a lot of it, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get in there and grind it. I'm like, dude, like, why don't you get a coach for what you want to do? Like, I don't need no coach. I'll just figure it out. I'll just grind it out. I'll carve my own way. I'm like, sometimes that's cool, but sometimes it's cool to just, you know, hire someone who can help you with that. You know, and it's it's funny too, because I also I also listen to contractors that are that I'm like, hire a coach in what you're at, you know, like to help you. And they're like, well, that coach, you know, is, is not making as much money as I am, and like not doing as well as I want to do, right? I'm like, well, dude, Tim Grover wasn't as good as Michael Jordan, but Michael Jordan still paid Tim Grover a lot of money to, to help him figure out the nuances of how he could become better. And so the thought process behind like, oh, uh, I'm going to hire someone who's better. I mean, you definitely don't want to hire a fat guy to teach you how to get healthy in the gym, right? But Tim Grover can help Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? It's like there's coaching programs that can work like that. I don't. I don't even know how to dissect that. Can you help me? Uh, I think it's more like don't don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> I mean, if the message resonates with you, why does it matter who it comes from? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you could learn from a kid. You could be working on a job one day, and some little eight year old could come up and be like. Hey, how come you how come you put your shovel over there and walk back and forth a hundred times a day? You know what I mean? Like, why don't you just put it next to you and like, boom, light bulb goes off. You you know you just save fifteen minutes every single day in labor. Yeah, it's like it's you perspective. Could, you can learn from anyone anywhere. Sometimes if you're if you're so into it and you're so like involved and you're surrounded by it, you know you can't see it from the outside. You just can't. You know, so someone who's maybe not where you you know, where you're planning on landing can help you like boost you up and help you up a couple levels. Maybe that coach is not like your long-term coach, but there's your intermediate coach, just like you talked about. I went to this coach, I learned from him. He, it wasn't perfect for me, but I learned. And then I, you know, I scaled and I went to another coach and I moved. And like, so again, it's a moving target. You're changing, you're evolving, and you just got to be open. I agree 100%. So if you guys are doing any of those five steps in your business, cut it out. Like seriously, stop, stop doing that. Quit it right yeah. now. And if Quit you and it. if you need help, what do they got to do? Uh, they just got to pay my plane ticket. I'll fly to your place and I'll chew your ass out. <laughs> chew your ass out. The hammer. No, like really, <laughs> like really. There, there's a lot of coaching groups out there. So you know, you know, we have a coaching group. It's the Profit Club. You know, we'd love for you to come and be involved in it. But I, I don't care if it's like go to lunch with a competitor. Read a Tony Robbins book like I did 30 years ago. Read, you know, just get on a YouTube video, whatever. Like 
you have to like start looking outside of yourself to have someone else look inside of your business and kind of get an idea of what's going on and just give you a different perspective. I mean, I think that's really critical. And that that's that's the big takeaway I want people to go home with is to like reach out for help. Don't be so macho. Life's too short. Life is way too short. Like, why would you not look to shorten the learning curve and get to where you want to be faster with a little bit of help? Yeah, I think it was, was it Elon Musk or whoever said, to look at your 10-year goal and then try and do it in six months? Yeah, Elon's a legend, bro. Like, I'm, I mean, that, that quote weighs on me. It's like sitting yeah. on my shoulder right now for exactly what you and I are doing right now. I, I just want to get there faster. I'm old. You know, you're young. Like, I want to get there right now. I want to help as many people as possible. Yeah, me too. Well, why don't you take us out of here? Maybe maybe share with them about our uh, new sales training that we have available. You want me to do that already? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for paying attention to us today. We're hoping that the, some of the content that we're throwing down is helping you like get a different perspective in your business. We're hoping that you're going to make the world a better place by sharing the podcast with some contractors that you know uh, that can help make their self better and that help everyone's projects do better and everything. If you want to find out more about our group, The Profit Club, we have a new webinar that we just dropped and it's out on hammerandgrind.com. What is it? Forward slash The Profit Club? I don't even know the link. It's so new. That's it. Yeah. You got that's it. That's it. Hammerandgrind.com forward slash the profit club. You can get on, you can jump on there and see our free webinar and you can put in your your email stuff and we'll we'll get in touch with you. You can even schedule a call with Brad or I. You can actually probably request if you want to talk to me instead of Brad because you know he's kind of a hard ass. Right? Is that true? I think I think we're keeping track of who requests who. <laughs> I think can't. I think you've got more requests than me. That's kind of hurting my feelings right now. No, we got we got a free sales training on there that you can uh, take a look at and uh, it'll help you dominate in your sales game. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. So anyways, we really appreciate your time today. Please smash the five stars and rate and review. And of course, subscribe if you want to catch some more stuff. We'll catch you on the next time.